I'll confess, actually, when, uh, when Daniel called me, he said, you are speaking for 45 minutes. I misinterpreted that as four to five minutes, so we're all done, guys. I'm sorry. No, I'm just kidding. I don't have anything else. No, I'm just joking. You know, that's what happens, Father uh, Dimitri, when you, bring, when you give a priest a microphone. That's, that's what happens, you know. You start getting some dad jokes here and there. Um, I'd like to thank, uh, I met Daniel Silver and Father David Subu um, last year when I attended Doxicon for the first time, and it is just a joy to get together in this really wonderful overlap, if I may say, of so many of the things that we love. Obviously, our faith, our culture, both ethnic culture and American culture, and, and I just wanted to thank both of you for putting this together. David's, uh, Daniel's in the back, Father David's up here. Thank both of you and everybody on the committee who put this together. This is really wonderful, and I just want to thank you for the opportunity. I am here this evening, um, yes, from the West Coast. Uh, can everybody hear me okay, by the way? Okay. Even if I'm over here in the middle? Okay, good. I'm here tonight as a, as a fan, first and foremost, also as a cleric, of course, as a Greek-American, and as an Orthodox Christian. That actually is first and foremost, forgive me. I share many passions that we probably all share in this room. Just on the way over here, we had a great conversation with Father David about, you know, movies and books and all kinds of stuff. So I look forward to having those kinds of conversations this weekend as well. But of course, our theme for this year for Doxicon is superheroes, or at least the theme for tonight is superheroes. And uh, Daniel mentioned to me that he thought this would be a great kind of foot in the door, certainly for me and for all of us who are beginning this year, uh, the weekend this year. Superheroes are something that, of course, are no, uh, is nothing new to our culture and really nothing new to planet Earth as well. But it seems like somehow, some way in our day and age today, superheroes have become even more prevalent than they have ever been. Four of the top five highest grossing movies, I'm going to bring in, begin with some statistics here if you'll allow me, uh, a couple of facts that I googled this week. Four of the top five highest grossing movies of 2018 were superhero movies. Surprise, surprise, right? We can probably name them in this room. And that, by the way, if you were to stretch that to the top ten, six of the top ten movies of 2018 were superhero movies. The top two movies of this year, and the number one movie by a landslide, the stat here that makes me happiest is that the highest grossing movie of all time in American history was released this year. So far, to date, the top two highest grossing movies of 2019 were superhero movies, again, including the all-time leader. 2019 also saw in the United States, although these movies are released in the world as well, another record, which is that more so than any year in American cinema history, there were the greatest number of superhero movies released this year, and that was 11, if you include the animated ones that were released in the theaters as well. Just last week also, Marvel Studios has, which has been killing it by the way, there are a lot of these stats, they're responsible for a lot of these. They have said that even though we are done with our main kind of phase of Avengers movies, we are still going to be releasing every year three to four superhero movies under our umbrella. I mean, just staggering, staggering numbers, right? I'm sure this is, again, something that's nothing new to all of us in this room as well. I'm sure that whatever, our, whatever drew us here, whatever drew us to Doxicon, um, whether it be sci-fi, whether it be fantasy, whether it be prose, whether it be, who knows, video games, TV, Netflix, whatever it might be, I'm sure superheroes has overlapped somewhere in our life, you know, to some degree. So, with all these numbers in mind, with all these numbers in mind, what is it, one might ask, that is just so appealing about superheroes? Superheroes. We'll get to comics specifically in a minute, but just in our culture, in our pop culture today, generally speaking, what is it, we might ask, that is so appealing, that is so engaging, that keeps people coming over and over and over again to the cinema, to the TV screen? And I didn't even mention, by the way, all the shows that are on TV nowadays, right? But the box office, I mean, people line up around the block for these movies. What is it, we might ask tonight, that is so appealing about superheroes in our society today? So I've put together just a few thoughts of what I think it is, and we'll get to a couple specifics about some things that relate to me personally here. 
When I speak about these things, by the way, I'm not talking just about the movies, I'm talking about everything and everything in the history of this country and pop culture. So, generally speaking, I think that it's fair to say that the following are some of the things that appeal to us about superheroes, but feel free to add some later in, in your comments. Number one with superheroes, escapism. Escapism, right? How is it that not just superheroes, but all of the highest grossing movie franchises in American cinema history are what? They're genres, right? They're genre films. The Harry Potter series, superhero series, I mean Marvel specifically, the X-Men specifically, Star Wars, Star Trek. I mean, just go on Wikipedia and look at highest grossing movie franchises of all time. All of them are gonna be something that we're celebrating here this weekend, okay? Superheroes, fantasy, Jurassic Park movies, whatever it might be, right? All of these are big money makers. Escapism is a huge, huge part of the appeal of superheroes. When they were first created, and again, we can get into the, the, um, the definition of when exactly superheroes were first released to the public, but for now, let's just talk about superheroes as we know them in general. When superheroes as we know them in this country came out, they were the, and still are, the ultimate boys fantasy, right? Super strength, superpowers, etc. although now, of course, it is for girls as well and for all demographics. But for a time, it was specifically, you know, held together by this in terms of the fans. Science and fantastic stories, always asking the questions of what if, right? What if? What if someone could fly? What if someone could lift a car over their head? What if someone could teleport from one end of the earth to the other or travel through outer space? These kinds of, as science, these kinds of concepts, as science pushes forward, we try to get a little bit ahead of it and ask, what if? What if? What if this were possible? Is this possible? What would that look like? These are fun things that we love looking at, right? The continuation of mythology. The continuation of mythology. This is another one that I'm sure is no stranger to us in this room. And again, when I talked about when exactly superheroes were revealed to the world, we could definitely point to mythology, couldn't we? Take a look at these two synopses that I'm about to share. There is a story about a hero who goes on a mission to retrieve a very valuable, special item. He assembles a team. They overcome great danger and monsters to retrieve the item. That's one synopsis. Second synopsis. There is a hero who is picked to wield a special weapon. He is told to go to a special place with others also chosen to wield this weapon. And later, that same hero goes on adventures to protect the innocent using the weapon. These are two synopses, thousands of years apart. The first, of course, is Jason and the Argonauts, the quest for the Golden Fleece. The second is Green Lantern. Okay. So mythology plays a part in this, of course. Finally, and probably my favorite, heroes uplift and inspire us. They are uplifting stories, they are inspirational stories. Whether we hear a story about a fireman who ran into a burning building to save a child, or someone who happened to be a good Samaritan to someone who was having a heart attack on the street, called 911, got the ambulance here in time, and saved their life. Those are heroic stories. These are stories of heroes. Whether it be that kind of a story, or whether it be Superman saving somebody from jumping off a building in bleak despair in their life. In either case, they are heroic stories, and these stories uplift and inspire. And they are probably, that is probably my favorite aspect of these stories. My favorite aspect. Aren't we inspired by good people around us? Aren't we inspired when we see behavior around us that is a little bit outside the norm, that is a little bit different from what we normally see? Of course we are. What human being does not get inspired when they hear about these kinds of heroic actions, these heroic deeds? From a theological point of view, we might say, especially as Orthodox Christians, that there is something also about these stories that perhaps tickles our conscience a little bit. And we in the priesthood, or we um, who are in the church, might say that that person, that little emotion that we feel in there is the Holy Spirit working within us when we hear about these kinds of stories of good and decency and heroism. These are all beautiful, beautiful qualities, would you agree? Are definitely part of the superhero genre. Okay.
To get back to that question about when did superheroes first come out? When did we first discover superheroes, quote unquote, as human beings or as people in this world? Well, the case can be made that superheroes go all the way back to ancient times, right? So the case can be made that superheroes can be found in the Bible with Joshua, Samson, Moses, Jesus Christ. When Jesus cures a child of a demonic possession, a child that was, you know, that was not living and their parents, the, the parents of the child were not alive. They weren't able to function in their life. That's a heroic act as well, even though God doesn't do it for recognition or anything like this. But it's the same exact kind of story as rescuing someone from a burning building. The burning building in this case just happens to be their life. Their life. So we could make a case for the Bible. We could make a case for mythology, like I said earlier, with the aforementioned Jason, or Heracles, or Perseus, or Gilgamesh in Babylon. We could make a case for folktales, like Paul Bunyan, or any of these, those kinds of American folk heroes, maybe Johnny Appleseed, these kinds of people. We could definitely make the case in later in American history in pulps and novels, that is prose, by the way, novels like The Shadow, you know, on the radio, The Green Hornet, um, in novels in the late 19th century, The Scarlet Pimpernel, if we've heard of him before. But I'm going to argue for my talk today that as valid as all of these might be, the superhero genre began in 1938 with the creation of Superman. Okay. All of these folk tales and fables existed prior to this, of course. But somehow it just seems that in the 1930s, they were all mashed together. They were all mashed together and they created the superhero. And every superhero, superheroic character, excuse me, that came after Superman is basically just drawn from some kind of a variation of Superman. Batman is simply an inversion of Superman, right? He came out the following year. This year, by the way, is Batman's 80th anniversary. Last year was Superman's 80th anniversary. Wonder Woman was, of course, had her own origin. We can get into that another time. We can teach a whole seminary class about these things, but, uh, or, or college class about these things. But Wonder Woman also was a response. She was the female kind of, I don't want to say reaction to Superman, but you know, obviously um, also derived from the same character. And all the other heroes that followed afterwards, again, had that template in mind originally. This is where I have to not talk too long because I literally could talk about this all day long, all day long. Superman is by far my favorite character, but we'll get to that in a minute too. Um, just a little bit of background. If you are a superhero fan, if you are a comic book fan, I'm just going to apologize from now. This is probably very rudimentary stuff and you're going to roll your eyes about how Superman was created and you're going to say, come on, Father, I know that stuff. I know that he was created in Cleveland by two Jewish teenagers named Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Come on. Well, just indulge me, okay, please. Just for, just for our purposes today, just in case anybody's not a comic book fan. All right, Superman himself, from where the superhero genre started, that all came from him. Superman, as I said earlier, was created in the 1930s by two teenagers in Cleveland, Ohio, both Jewish ethnically and religiously, uh, named Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. He was finally published in 1938, but they worked on him for the better part of the decade. Jerry Siegel in particular must have known he was a fan of all those qualities that I mentioned in the beginning. All the things that we love about superheroes, all the folk tales and all those things that superhero, superheroes as a genre are derived from. Jerry Siegel was a huge, huge fan. So certainly he knew about those things. Just as an example, raise your hand if you've ever heard of a character named Doc Savage. Wow. Okay, I'm, I'm surprised. Doc Savage was a pulp hero. Pulps, by the way, just in case, again, in layman's terms, were... Now I'm getting booze. Okay, I should know, I should know my audience. Forgive me. But the pulps, of course, were very, like, little magazines for, for, for kids and for adolescents and for adults as well. They were on newsstands, and they were all prose. There was no pictures inside, but they usually were a little bit more risque sometimes, and in the case of superheroes, maybe a little more violent, certainly in the 1930s. Doc Savage was an adventurer who had bulletproof skin, his name was Clark Savage. Clark was his first name. He had a fortress of solitude in the Antarctic. Yes. And he went on all kinds of other adventures. Who's here, who, who here has heard of a character? This is probably a little bit more well-known. But uh, the character John Carter. Edgar Rice Burroughs, right? The same guy who created Tarzan. I want to say before Tarzan. I could be wrong on that. You can fact check me. But John Carter was a hero who was plucked out of the Civil War. The books were written in the early 20th century, but he was plucked out of the Civil War and he somehow was transported to Mars. And because of Mars's different gravity and different uh, atmosphere and so forth, he could jump really high. 
Um, not quite fly, but he could jump really high. And he was adopted by a people that were not his own. He was the only human on the planet Mars. And he became kind of a liberator for these people that were oppressed. So he was adopted by a people not his own. You get where I'm going with this here, okay? Jerry Siegel was, fan as, was a fan of all of these things and certainly read these things. And there's much more that we could say even just about that. A little bit more about the ingredients in the concoction that became Superman was that he was, of course, also a Moses metaphor. Again, when I mentioned the Jewish aspect, Moses was what? The story of Moses was what? We know the story very well in this country. To escape destruction, Moses' parents, who were Jews, who were Hebrews, they weren't called Jews until the kingdom of Judea was founded, of course, but however you couch it historically, his parents, who were one race, in order for their child to escape destruction, put him in a basket, floated him down the river, where he was adopted by a people not his own, and he eventually became their, a deliverer, a lawbringer, a person who told people to shape up in their lives. With the story of Superman, to escape the destruction of the planet Krypton, he is placed as a baby by his parents in a rocket ship. He travels to Earth, where he is adopted by a people not his own, and so on. Lawbringer, justice, overcoming oppression, you know, fighting for the little guy, all that kind of thing. The same thing, the same kind of themes that we hear in the book of Exodus in the story of Moses. And especially, by the way, in Superman's earliest stories, which were in the Depression era. There's also this other quality of Superman. This one has been debated a little bit. The fact that he came from heaven as a Messiah metaphor. Certainly, of course, the Messiah metaphor as Moses, in terms of the Jewish Messiah metaphor, is very much there when Superman was created. The Christian metaphor as well, there is some evidence. There are some people who talked to Jerry Siegel and um, wrote a little bit about this that talk about he may have had kind of a Christian idea of this in mind as well as kind of the com coming from the heavens. Messiah figure. It is debatable about how much of that was present in the early stories, but certainly as the character progressed and developed and evolved, and certainly by the time that you see the Superman movies, that is very much there. Very much kind of a Jesus Christ metaphor as well. So that was probably picked up later on more so, but it was still there. In the early 20th century, this is another aspect of Superman and another part of the kind of sociological and theological bubbling up. The early 20th century and late 19th century was a time of unprecedented immigration into this country, of course, right? The uh, Eastern Europeans and Western Europeans as well, Irish even, you know, people from the old country, everybody. And Jews as well were coming to this country in droves. Huge numbers of people were from other parts of the world were spilling into the Americas. And Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster's parents were no different. Joe Schuster's parents actually went to Canada first in Toronto, but they were they ultimately ended up in Cleveland, Ohio, which was a big Jewish um, ghetto at the time as well, where the boys grew up. Many Jews lived in the Lower East Side in Manhattan, as we hear about, you know, the book from How the Other Side Lives, kind of a historical journalistic look at how a lot of these immigrants, when they first came to the country, the, the terrible conditions they were living in, regardless of how terrible they were, there was definite poverty there. There was definite poverty there, whether it was New York City or Cleveland or Chicago or any of the other big cities in the country at the time. As a result, these people from other countries felt like outsiders. And so Superman, coming from another place as well to this country, also caught on because he was an outsider himself as well. He stood up for the little guy and these people also resonated with this. And, and Siegel and Schuster certainly added this dimension to it as well. This is our guy. There's other people around us. We don't know who they are. They don't know us. We don't speak the same language. But no matter who you were, you identified with Superman. Okay? Couple more things, of course. We know that he was created in the 1930s and released in the 1930s, first published in the 1930s, and that was, of course, during the Great Depression in America, and that was very much a response. I mean, Superman's presence and being super strong and super fast and righting wrongs and, you know, bringing to justice those who were picking on the little guy, etc., etc. This also resonated, one of the reasons he caught on, because of this emasculization that was taking place amongst men in America during that time as well. This kind of not being able to provide for your family, not being able to kind of keep hardship at the door for your wife and children. The men felt not empowered, shall we say. And so Superman was very much a hero for them as well. 
Anyway, all of these things are just a little bit of background to say about how much he caught on and, and, uh, and how the superhero kind of genre emerges out of these kinds of things. Well, needless to say, by the time Action Comics number one premiered in its cover dated June of 1938, but it probably premiered a couple weeks before that. Uh, it hit the newsstand a couple weeks before that. It sold like gangbusters. Kids were, it was very popular with kids, it was very popular with adults, it was even very popular very, uh, a, little, a couple years later with soldiers fighting on the front either in Europe or in the Pacific Theater. There were droves of Superman comics and all comics shipped to soldiers during World War II, the second most read literature for soldiers during that time. So by the time one year later, the Thanksgiving parade in New York City was rolling down whatever street it does in New York City, forgive me, I'm from the West Coast. On Thanksgiving Day, at the Macy's Parade, there was a Superman balloon by 1939. And it was a huge, huge balloon. And basically, the country has never looked back, right? So Superman was the first, but, but he, was, he was by no means the last. And the, the, the saga of the superhero continues to this day. Whatever formula, whatever lightning in a bottle was caught then, it still is very much being enjoyed today by all of us in many different ways. Now, this brings us to moi. My reaction. Growing up, I was always more of a Batman guy. Sorry. I have a Superman blog as well, by the way. Anyway, I was always more of a Batman and an X-Men guy, actually. And I still love both of those things as well. I was a kid growing up in the 90s, right? So, you know, that's what you, that's what you watch. That's what, that, that's what was on TV. That's what you read in the comics. Mm. Superman as well, but uh, I was more into the other two, like I said. I always liked Superman as a kid. I always thought he was really cool. I watched the Christopher Reeve movies, um, you know, the, cart the cartoons that came out. I remember reading the epic pop culture moment that was the death of Superman in 1992 when I was 10 years old. It was, it was amazing. So I liked Superman even as a kid, but I didn't come to love Superman until I became an adult. My wife might argue I'm still not quite an adult, but that's okay. You know, I'm still very much a kid at heart too. I love you, sweetie. In any case, when I got to, when my life started progressing a little bit, by college I would say I started getting into maybe the, the kind of academia portion that I just mentioned a little bit, the history, the sociological part of this. I started finding that very fascinating about the character of Superman and the superhero genre. But by the time I got to seminary, I was a huge Superman fan. I think he kind of eclipsed every other character, and there are many. There are many comics that I love and many superheroes that I love, many, many characters that I read. But by the time I was at seminary, I'm not exactly sure why. I wrote about this on my blog. I just became a huge, huge fan. I have a couple thoughts about this, and you may agree, you may have found this in your life as well, but I definitely have seen it in mine. As we get older in our life, and again, you know, to each their own, and each has a different path. I think seeing a nice guy, a nice person, just becomes a bigger deal, you know? When we get into the real world, quote unquote, I think that we're faced with challenges and we're faced with all kinds of opportunities to compromise those lessons that we're taught when we're in kindergarten and in Sunday school and all those kinds of things, and as Orthodox as well. When we meet somebody who is totally and absolutely and completely, utterly incorruptible, it's amazing. It's amazing to read about that. How many figures like that exist in pop culture who are not flawed, quote unquote? Not that there's anything wrong with a flawed hero. Stan Lee made a great career out of that, and that's wonderful stuff. But to see just one person who just is a good guy and always does the right thing. That's his greatest superpower, by the way. It's not flight, it's not being bulletproof, it's not being super strong. It's not x-ray vision, it's not heat vision, it's not any number of other weird things that existed during the Silver Age. It is the fact that when faced with a dilemma, Superman always chooses good. He always does the right thing. That little simple truth, whether it be a message for children or whoever, really inspired me when I got to seminary. In Superman the Movie, 1978, please tell me that you guys have seen that. Who has seen Superman the Movie? Okay, great. I knew I was in the right place. I was about to fold up my notes and leave. No, I'm just joking. Um, <clears throat> in Superman the movie, when he first reveals himself to the world, phenomenal movie, by the way. The director's cut came out in 2000. I first saw the whole thing, the whole director's cut, when I was at seminary. The first time that Christopher Reeve does the shirt rip and opens up, you know, shows the Superman S to the audience. 
He saves Lois Lane from falling down off of a helicopter from a skyscraper, right? He flies up, catches her first, goes and grabs the helicopter, puts the helicopter back on the roof, okay? The whole crowd down, down on the street is cheering. Everybody's happy. Lois Lane is happy. And she asks a question. She looks at him and she's totally dumbfounded. Her hat has flown off. And she says, who are you? What is the answer? Yes. Thank you, Christo. My podcast buddy. A friend. A friend. Wonderful stuff. I just want to like, man, just great. By the time I'd gotten to seminary, if I ever read a Superman book or seen one of these Superman movies or watched one of the cartoons or anything, if I ever saw Superman saving somebody from falling off a ledge or from, you know, even just a polite conversation, I would be inspired and motivated to do that in my own life. Not unlike watching a Rocky movie, perhaps, okay? You watch a Rocky movie, the training montage, who doesn't want to go work out and, you know, save the world after that, right? Lift weights and do whatever, boxing. Same thing for me as, as, a, as a priest when I, when I see Superman doing all these right choices, all these good things. So for the talk today, again, there's any number of stories that I could have picked to show you or to kind of illustrate a little bit about what I'm talking about. But ultimately, as hard as it was, there is one story that is... I can't pick my favorite Superman story, but there are two that I think are my all-time favorites, and I think they're 1A, 1B. Death and Return of Superman is a phenomenal story, but it's very, very continuity-heavy. It's very, it's, it's very long, it's very huge, but it's a great story if you get a chance to read it. And there's another one that's called Superman Peace on Earth. There was a series of graphic novels released by DC Comics in the late 90s and early 2000s that were meant to kind of be just kind of a snapshot to encapsulate the essence of their characters, and they did five, I believe. One for Superman, one for Captain Marvel, who by audiences today would be called Shazam, one for Wonder Woman, one for Batman, and one for the Justice League. Um, they were all painted, they're not sketched, but they're done by a brilliant artist named Alex Ross, who I met in 2004, 2003. All right, we got some applause, great. And it was written by a writer named Paul Dini, who wrote for Batman the Animated Series, the, the uh, cartoon, of course, the, the, probably the best superhero cartoon ever made, but he's written for a lot of other things, including books and, and other stuff. So the book that I'm going to show you a couple pages of is called Superman Peace on Earth, and it's just a snapshot, okay? I'm not going to show you the whole thing, nor am I going to reveal to you the ending, because it's a great, great book and it has a great message. So we're just going to go from here a little bit. Okay, that's, that's the cover. Let me, let me remove this here. So just a little bit about this book. It takes place at Christmas time, and it begins with Superman bringing a gigantic Christmas tree to, to a place not unlike Rockefeller Center in Metropolis. He decorates the tree, puts it down, and is about to leave. Unfortunately, before he does, the caption says the following. Okay, maybe it doesn't say the following. It's a little small here. It's all right. Okay. Basically, he sees a girl. He hears a heartbeat at first. He hears a gasp. He sees this girl who is on the street in the middle of the cold, and he goes and picks her up. When he picks her up, he realizes that she is extremely light, and that's because she's starving. Superman is eventually inspired by this, by seeing this. He takes her to a shelter. They give her, they give her food, a bed, etc. But he begins thinking, as Clark Kent in his, in his journalism career, he says, what would it take to eliminate the world's hunger for one day. And again, it's a Christmas time story, so it's great. It's a wonderful life type story, right? So Superman, after getting permission from the governments of the world, takes the surplus of whatever every country has, puts it in one place, and attempts to distribute it to everybody on planet Earth to eliminate hunger for one day. All right, and we get beautiful images like this. Him remembering his farm in Kansas about how his dad taught him to share. It takes one man, someone who could not, who could put his own needs aside to help the greater good. There we go. Okay, my vision's still 2020. Okay. And flashback stories of his childhood, remembering him and his dad. This is him bringing a tanker of grain to Rio de Janeiro, right next to the statue of Cristo Redentor, Christ the Redeemer. Of course, the parallels here are very clear breathtaking art, right? The light, the sunshine, the, the, the shadows, it's just incredible. Ross is one of my favorite comic book artists of all time. Anyway, this is him bringing, he goes to the favelas, you know, the poor parts of Brazil. 
he takes the grain to the poor kids there, and he and he leaves the all the food with them, and he's mobbed by these children who love him, who say, thank you for coming, thank you for feeding us. And the caption of the, and the panel on the very bottom right says, every moment I feel more and more sure that I have made the right decision. Again, how many heroes do we see doing this in movies nowadays? You know, just doing the right thing and mobbed by kids. Beautiful. Juxtapose that with him going to another country. It doesn't specify, but it just says in war-torn Europe. I think it's, uh, it was late 90s, so it's probably one of the former Yugoslavian countries. He brings food there, but the picture is very different. The people are not hopeful. It's a ravaged place. It's, it's a very, very bad place. So Superman gives them grain, and a boy comes up to him and asks, are you coming back tomorrow? The bottom right panel says, I look away. I wanted to throw this one in just because it's so cool. <laughs> but this is him talking about his life as well, and again, thinking about all the gifts he's been given. This is not from the Superman Peace on Earth story, but it's from the Justice League story that I mentioned. This is also in a book that's recommended on my further reading list, but this snapshot is by the same writer-artist team, and um, basically this is, I think you can tell here, this girl is in a very bleak moment of her life. It's during a kind of riot scene in the city that she's in, and she just thinks it's hopeless, and she wants to take her life. But thankfully, there is Superman. The way that those panels progress shows just the brilliance and how beautiful the comic book art form can be. You can't get that exactly in a movie, you can't get that exactly in a TV show or in a prose novel. But you're showing the, the succession of images like that, you know? The caption, by the way, on the top reads, this one I've memorized. On the very top is the girl jumps off the bridge, but on this night, no one was forgotten. And there's almost kind of an angelic quality to that image with Superman, with the way his cape blows and stuff. A lot of these artists, by the way, were inspired by classical um, illustration in museums and stuff, and maybe Renaissance art and so forth. All of this is pretty amazing, considering that he came from this. Obviously a very different time and a very different art form, but still brilliant in its own way. Grant Morrison, by the way, who I think is a nutcase, but he's a very, very, very popular writer, and he's a very talented comic book writer. Wrote a book about his own kind of his own take on the history of comic books, and he talked extensively about just this cover, Action Comics number one. And he talked about how, from every angle you're looking at, if you make kind of an X on the cover from the picture that Superman's standing in, you can see a direction where the the viewer's frame of sight is going this way, and this way, and this way and this way, all centered on the S. And I'm not going to go into all those details now, but perhaps some of those who are into art can tell us later. Either way, it was still a brilliant leap in pop culture when this issue came out. When I, as a priest, am in my parish, and I find myself encountered with struggles, you know, the hardest part, I can't speak for any of the other fathers here, but people ask me what the hardest part about being a priest is sometimes. Or, or they think they know what the hardest part about being a priest is sometimes based on perhaps what other experiences they've heard about. It is not the finances of the church for me. It is not the politics, quote-unquote, the, of the church keeping everybody happy. For me, just kind of hearing about suffering, knowing full well that we have that kind of sanctuary in Jesus Christ. Not kind of sanctuary. We have sanctuary in Jesus Christ. Knowing full well that we have that relief. Come to me, you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Even knowing that, when I'm still encountered with struggles that people are going through, it's very hard for me. It's very hard for me. I can't, again, I can't speak for the other fathers, and I've only been ordained 11 years. But even so, when I go to a hospital, when I see kids with leukemia, these kinds of things, and I get that phone call, knowing that it will do some good for the family, as hard as it might be for me, I gotta tell you, there are times where I almost kind of think about, in that moment of emergency, just this. That little, that little just shirt rip, that, you know, that kind of, that kind of sign that there's, there's hope. It's not over. There's hope here, okay? 
it inspires me to want to be there for people. It inspires me to want to, it motivates me to want to make that right choice, to be with the family, even if, regardless of what happens after the priest in the hospital's visit, there's still this moment where you see with that family that their pain is a little bit lighter, just by a guy with a collar being there. It could be Father Nico, it could be Father anybody, okay? Just to see that kind of help and assistance that is offered in this moment of crisis, if you will. Superman has been called a fireman of the DC Universe. As priests, we have to be firemen too sometimes. As Christians, we have to be firemen too sometimes. So, I can't speak for anybody else in this room, but I can tell you that this resonates with me like you have no idea. And there's times in the back of my mind, and of course I have my, my saints that I love praying to, and, and, and of course, you know, we walk with the Lord and we have to have a very healthy prayer life. But even within the stories that we watch and we read and we look at to entertain ourselves, even with stories like this, with messages like this, with saving that girl that's falling off the bridge, you know, bringing that grain to the, to the children in the slums in Brazil. I mean, it's incredible. It's an incredible, inspiring message that I don't see how you can be a human being and not see this and just get uplifted, right? It's kind of why I, I take exception a little bit with some of these movies. Again, I'm okay with a flawed hero, but we make Superman this kind of bleak, depressed character. It's like, guys, you can do that with Spider-Man. You can do that with Batman. It, it lends itself well to those things. You can't do that with Superman. You just can't. You have to, it has to be hopeful. It has to be uplifting and inspiring. If we can be inspired by fictional characters, even in our own personal life, glory to God. If I, as a priest, somehow, some way, can be a superhero to others, glory to God. If we, in this room, can take what we love about superheroes and all those inspiring moments in those movies that we watch and all those beautiful expressions of heroism and bravery and compassion and, and looking out for the other person, for, for our neighbor, if we can take any aspect of that, even though these things are just for entertainment, for goodness sake, and they're just meant to be, you know, originally they were meant to be kid stories, right? But if we can take any aspect of that and kind of harness that and use it when we encounter someone who's in trouble or we encounter someone perhaps even in our own family, perhaps that we see on the street, perhaps at our workplace, no matter what it is, if we can be inspired by that, even though it has nothing to do, at least directly, with Christianity, or it wasn't overtly meant to be a Christian message, still, all glory to God. I'm going to sound a little bit cynical right now, as I was just talking about not being cynical and not being depressed and things like this. I have met priests in my life who just don't seem to think that kindness has to be a priority or is a priority. They are a minority, by the way. It's not, it's, you know, the vast majority of priests that I've ever been around are the exact opposite. Wonderful people, 99.999% of the time. I'm not including myself, just, just for everybody's knowledge. But, but there are some times where I even see somebody who wears a collar who just, it's not a priority. That's not okay with me. I mean, again, I don't want to make this sound like I'm some kind of superhero myself, but even so, Never, never. We need to embody this kind of behavior. It's a wonderful message to people if we can do anything like this. I've even used the line sometimes, you know, that, that line when, when Superman says sometimes when uh, he helps someone in one, I think it was a Christopher, the first Christopher Reeve movie again, where he's going through the whole, it's like a montage of him saving everybody. And someone asks him like, you know, when can we see you again? And his answer to that is, I'm always around. I'm always around. The priest is always around and has to be always around because God is always around. Superman is an inspiration and superheroes in general, but Superman specifically is an inspiration to me as a priest and as a Christian. And I think that superheroes can be an inspiration to our young people, our families. You know, we're all going to see these movies, right? It's a wonderful, wonderful message to a wonderful genre. With that in mind, <laughs> With that in mind, all I was going to say was, as Patricia is getting it ready, thank you very much, Patricia, by the way. I wanted to just uh, do a very quick little plug here for my podcast, our podcast. When I talk about superhero stories being an inspiration, so I'd like to introduce to everybody tonight also my really good buddy, Chris Kotsakis. Chris, raise your hand, please. He has, he, he's here with his beautiful family, Janet and Dean. Dean, wave over there. He's at the gaming area. All right. Hi, Dean. 
Chris, Janet, and Dean are wonderful family of Orthodox Christians. Chris used to do some work for Marvel and DC on the advertising side. He's a graphic designer by trade. He still consults and does things like this. He also has a big artist show called Artisticon that happens every year in the Philadelphia area. It's even though the, even though the word has con in the title, it's actually more of a conference, kind of a, a series of seminars for artists trying to break into the industry, whether it be graphic design, illustration, painting, things like that. Chris discovered my blog a couple years ago and reached out to me and said, hey, I think your blog is really cool and I'm also an Orthodox Christian and my wife teaches Sunday school and, you know, we, we go to our church, St. Thomas in Cinnaminton. Cherry Oak. Okay. Do you live in Cinnaminton? You live in Cinnaminton. Okay, but the church is in Cherry Oak. In any case, he says, I'd love to interview with, with you sometime. So we did. I posted it on my blog and then we had such a great time. We became fast friends and fast forward a couple of years and now we're doing a podcast together. A couple of things have slowed us down a little bit this year, but I still wanted to do a shout out. We don't want, I felt very, very strongly that our podcast should be a ministry and that it's not just an analysis of pop culture. There's plenty of places that you can get that. And I think that's great. That's kind of what I did my first part of my, my talk tonight. But even so, you know, I use these kinds of messages in pop culture and everyday life in my sermons sometimes. If I ever want to attach a message to the gospel, Spider-Man felt like an outsider in this latest movie, but he didn't get angry at the people who were shunning him. He saved them even when it was time to, you know, rescue them when they were in, you know, when they were, when the villain was attacking whatever it might be. Do we ever have a time, perhaps, where we feel like we could very easily say no to our enemies, those who just said something mean about us or whatever it might be? Do we ever, are we ever tempted to not do that way? Well, you know, the apostles might have felt the same way and so forth. And, you know, and we go into the story of the gospel or the epistle that day. So it's kind of a, a little bit of a nice message that we try to incorporate in our podcast. And we think it's good for Sunday schools or, you know, um, kids or families to, to listen to. So I just wanted to do a little plug for that real quick. It's called Creative Blessings. And my blog is called Christ Coffee and Comics, which is a little bit more on the analyzing side. I should say, by the way, that Chris's wife, Janet, came up with the name Creative Blessings. And my, my wife, Presbytera Stella, came up with the name Christ Coffee and Comics. And also Presbytera Stephanie, when her husband and Daniel were toying with the idea of doing a pop culture kind of orthodox conference weekend, said you guys should do it. So we should very much say that not behind a quote-unquote great man, but you know, side by side with any man is his great spouse. So thank you very much for that. So anyway, so yeah, thank you. So real quick, that's just a quick plug. So Creative Blessings and Christ Coffee and Comics are where I write about a lot of this stuff. You can, you can see as I go, and I post audio of sermons and stuff like that sometimes too. So these are just, I mean, we could talk so much about all of this and more on the analysis side. And if we want to go there, we totally can. I just wanted to give you a, a little bit of a snapshot of kind of the superhero genre, a little bit about kind of my love of it and my love of the character of Superman specifically. So with this in mind, if you have any questions, feel free. Thank you. Yes. And why don't you, when you, when you uh, have your question, why don't you say your name and what parish you're from or what, what city you're from? Yes. very resonant because of his archetypal nature and, and this kind of thing. And I wonder what your take is on the sort of inevitable conflict that writers tend to bring him into with Batman, uh, not as a subcultural, like, who's better, forget that discussion, but but it seems like authors seem to... Superman. Go ahead. <laughs> find a fascination with bringing these characters into this kind of inevitable conflict in every manifestation of the story. I'm thinking especially Frank Miller, of course. So what is your take on why that move tends to get made, and what do you see as maybe representative of our cultural shift over time, or our fascination with these characters? Like so thank you, Zach. So the question for the sake of the um, people listening, if you guys heard over there, and also the people listening online, um, the question was, what, what is your take on this archetypical, not just Superman's archetypical nature, but also this contrast, this inevitable conflict that always arises whenever he is paired with Batman? So the short answer of that is, I think it makes for great stories because a, a great way of finding out what a character is made of is putting them with their exact opposite, always, no matter what story it is, right? In terms of how that developed a little bit, when World's Finest Comics first came out in the 1940s, which is, of course, the first ever, well, it wasn't the first ever team-up comic, but it was the first ever Superman-Batman team-up comic. I mean, the covers would show them, like, playing baseball, you know? Or, like, 
walking side by side with like, you know, an army guy on this side and a navy guy on the other side as kind of like a buy war bonds or something like this. So they were very, very good buddies for the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s, and even part of the 80s. You mentioned Frank Miller, who is, of course, you know, one of the giants of the industry, because in 1986, Dark Knight Returns was a, a game changer, the, the four-issue miniseries that made Batman. It's a story about Batman coming out of retirement and kind of fighting crime again in his 60s, and that was the first time you can make a case for John Byrne in Man of Steel, but that was the first time really that they were no longer buddies. They fought each other in the last issue because Superman represented, I think, I mean, Frank Miller was very much trying to be political. He thought Superman represented the far right and very much like President Reagan's kind of lapdog. And Batman represented the far left. Maybe not too far left, but, but uh, certainly not what Superman was standing for in that story. The inevitable conflict, I think, is, is great, personally. I mean, they've had a lot of great stories together. Hush was a great Batman-Superman kind of clash. Not in terms of the fighting or who's more powerful or whatever, but again, you find out what the other is made of. I, <laughs> you find that even with friends, right? When you're with somebody at work, perhaps, that you have to work together, work with together. This person's a pessimist, you're an optimist, or this person tends to be more detail, you're more big picture. You know, you could, if you learn to do it the right way, you could be a phenomenal team. But a lot of times you might butt heads as well. Is that, is that what you're going for? Did you want to go into like some other aspect of it? I just wonder, I mean, whatever you're interested in, but I wonder what it says about us, especially the attempt that, okay. the attempt to make Superman dark that often, you know, failed attempt. Okay, excellent question. That's actually two questions rolled into one a little bit. The, the, the follow-up question to that was, what does it say about us as a society today? And, and what does it say about this kind of need to try to make Superman dark? So the society piece, I'll, I'll answer very quickly. Basically, there's no, it's, it's no secret that comic books in the mid-80s took a left turn towards the dark. And that's when it coincided with a couple of things, I think. In the late 70s, comic books on the newsstand were basically dying. People thought that comic books as an industry were going were gonna to go away in the, in, by, by the late 70s, by the late Bronze Age. Some writers even talk about thinking, I thought I was going to be out of, out of a job in 1977, so I did whatever I wanted in my, in my book, you know? So as a newsstand, they really weren't, they weren't, there weren't as many newsstands on the street, they weren't like being sold at pharmacies a whole lot, even though I remember them at the grocery store when I was a kid too and stuff. But what happened in the late 70s was you have the creation of the comic book store, a direct market that just caters to the comic book fan, not necessarily the comic book child fan, but also the adult comic book fan. So in the comic book store, it's not at a grocery store, it's not at Walgreens, it's not at whatever you guys have out here, you know, for the equivalent of those things, or, or all those things and more. They are just a specific niche audience, okay? That niche audience being more adult, you, could, you had a little more room to roam, and some of these writers very much took it upon themselves to get more serious and get more dark. Some of the best stories do come out of those things, I will say. Dark Knight Returns is very dark and is very violent. It's also told brilliantly. I'm not exactly recommending it for anybody under the age of like 10, but, but it does say something, you know, it, 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 was, it was, it gave us a lot of a template for comic books after that. Watchmen, of course, very dark, very inappropriate, very, very much not for kids, but at the same time, again, brilliantly told. I mean, just to this day, whenever you do top 100 lists of greatest comic book stories of all time, Watchmen is number one by a landslide. And they keep trying to make movies about it, but Alan Moore, the writer, thinks it can't be made into a, into anything other than, than the medium that it was intended for. Be that as it may. The left turn happened basically because of that kind of shift of the comic book store and because it became more adultish and probably because society as we know is you know maybe getting a little more cynical. That leads to the second question of why make Superman cynical? I quite honestly, now you got me on my soapbox, but I think the best stories of Superman, not necessarily every superhero, but the best stories of Superman are the ones that inspire. Those are my favorite. I think they're, they're most of our favorites, right? Christopher Reeve in the 70s, I've seen, I've seen YouTube interviews with, you know, from back then, of people in the 70s asking, is Superman relevant still? People in the 70s, 40 years after his creation, is Superman relevant? Can he exist in our, in our very serious day and age, you know, whatever? 
And it was, it, the movie was a huge smash hit. You know, if you adjust it for inflation, it's still number like 30 all time or something like this. So even in the 70s, it seems like every decade we ask, is the character still relevant? Is this still viable as a property? The answer to all of us in this room, I think, is of course it is. Of course it is. It still makes money. You still see Superman everywhere. The problem is that people in Hollywood don't get it. Often, at least the, on, on the DC side, Warner Brothers. People with comic books. I mean, you have these, I don't know where they come from. I mean, a lot of times nowadays, these jaded fans who somehow become writers and just want to tell the most bleak story sometimes. And then, you know, and then the editor is saying, who wants Superman? Anybody? Anybody? And somebody raises their hand and it's not the right person. There are definitely people that get the character. It seems unfortunately, too, more often than not, they don't get the character. Which is unfortunate because when you do get the character, it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal medium. It's just a great story. It's fantastic. I think that says more about DC Comics and, and probably the state of the comic book industry today, which is that it's owned directly by movie studios. So Marvel is owned, of course, by Disney. DC is owned by Warner Brothers. And both movie companies are taking a direct hand in kind of what the books are putting out now because it's their brand and it's very big business nowadays. So part of it is that I just think it's, it's just an inability to believe that there are still nice guys. And that's my take. I mean, that's, that's, that, and that's a failure on, on us as a society. I mean, how on earth can we say that there's not nice guys anymore or the nice guys finish last? So why do we want to make Superman dark? It's because people don't know what else to do with him. And like, oh, Batman sells, so let's make him like Batman. No. Man of Steel, okay, there's the debates about how good that was or whatever, that, that movie. Henry Cavill is an amazing Superman. I think he's the best person to ever had the cape on. I love Christopher Reeve. But again, that movie was executive produced by Christopher Nolan and David Goyer, who made the Dark Knight movies. It's not the Dark Knight movies. It's not, it's not the same thing. Yes, sir. <clears throat> Up. <laughs> Is the Pope Catholic? <laughs> uh, Mike from West Virginia would like to know, do I think the suits are messing things up? Yes. Yes, I do. The suits on the movie set are messing things up. I think in the, in the comic book industry, I think they have their own problems. You know, I don't read comics as much nowadays. I got to be honest. I, I, I wait for the trades if there's something new that I like. But mostly I still kind of dip into the older stuff. I think the 80s is still an apex, a high watermark creatively. You can make a case for the 60s as well with Marvel's emergence. But anyway, I think nowadays I just think that the comic book industry is in a very different place because comic books are shrinking. The fact that movies are making such big business and the sales are not translating to the books says something. The fact that books are still selling in the five-figure range, you know, when in the, in, the, in the 30s, they were selling in the millions of copies. X-Men number one in 1991 sold over eight million copies. Um, nowadays, a successful comic makes between 50, sells 50,000 and 100,000 copies. So the fact that there's, no, there's been no uptick from the movie industry is a big failure on their part, I think. So part of it is the suits, and part of it is just kind of creatively just kind of being a big transition, I think, going on. You see, where you see it successful is if you walk into a Barnes & Noble, a bookstore, you'll see way more comic books now. But it's not translating to the, to the newsstand, so to speak. Yes, with the Spider-Man shirt. Good job. Yes, okay, so <laughs> tell me your name again. Uh, I'm Lucy from Fairfax, Virginia. Lucy from Fairfax, Virginia, okay. Would like to know, well, first of all, I made a comment that there is, there is a place for the darkness part of it. I agree with you, I totally agree with you. All the Marvel heroes became popular because they had a weakness. Even if it was the most lame weakness you could think of, Stan Lee said, what's his weakness? Iron Man had a bad heart? Really? I mean, that sounds so lame, but look at, it was a great movie. It makes for a great character. So yes, absolutely. Fallibility, the human side, absolutely. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that in Superman, but his struggle, I think, should be different. Have I seen The Boys? I haven't seen The Boys, and I'll tell you why. Just because 
I'm going to say this without sounding all like holier than thou. I know the writer very, very well from his work, Garth Ennis. Garth Ennis came as part of a British invasion in the 80s, and that, that produced a lot of great comics in the 80s. But unfortunately, some of the Vertigo line that came from DC from that, the very dark, very, very, very adult, dark themed comics that, that came out of that. Some of them were also like to the level of irreverent and I just never got into it myself. I know that a lot of people love like Preacher. He also wrote that one. He wrote The Boys later when he went to an independent company. There were some very, very, very kind of vulgar comic book covers and I didn't even open the book but you'd see it on the newsstand and it was very suggestive and I'm like, okay, Garth Ennis being free, given freedom to do whatever he wants, not interested. Now everything, everything there's no stone being unturned by Hollywood right now for Netflix and for movies and for whatever else to, to, create, to bring comic books to the big screen. So when I heard that Amazon was bringing the boys or Netflix or whatever it is, I just, I just, I was familiar with the property and I just wasn't interested. But is it good? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yes, yes. For sure. It's, it's, so The Boys is, is, a, is a book, from what I understand, about corrupt superheroes, which is basically Watchmen. You know, I mean, it's, it's somebody else doing their, it's another art, uh, writer doing his take on the same theme, which is, what if superheroes who could do all these things have no more, are morally ambiguous, have no moral boundaries whatsoever, then what, what would the world look like? And it was very bleak. So that, that says nothing about the quality of the writer. I mean, he could be a very talented writer and, and artist. I, I just never give it a chance. But you're right that there is absolutely a vein of that today that I think movie studios want to capitalize on as well. They see Watchmen, they see other things, and they're like, hey, let's, let's, what else is out there? Let's, let's try to find more things. Again, I'm not against dark. I mean, Batman has some great stories, but I think it has its place. Yes, but it's Vitera. Okay, superhero. Um, say, say what? Oh, oh, Superman. Excellent, excellent. Okay, great. I love it. Um, but with that said, one of my inspirations for Doxicon was because I just always wanted a place where I could talk about Smallville yes. and all of the theological <laughs> and wonderful things that are in um, that series. I don't think I'll ever give a talk on it. I don't speak well. But what I have noticed is in the building of the character now in the Arrowverse, I don't know if you're keeping up with all of that. They're going to bring back Tom Welling as Superman. In Crisis on Infinite Earths, yes. And yes. it looks like he hung up the cape. And I'm kind of noticing burnout is becoming a superhero team. Mm. And I'm thinking that to also ministry care. So wow, I love it. Wow. So, okay, so, Presidera Stephanie, what, what's the term in Romanian for a priest's wife? Uh, One at a time, please. <laughs> Preftiasa. Preftiasa, Stephanie. Thank you. First of all, said, I would like to debate, and I say that Tom Welling is the best Superman. By the way, who else is a Smallville fan in here? Raise your hand, please. Okay. All right. Let's have a little fun, by the way. Let, let's, let's do a little poll here. Okay. Christopher Reeve, raise your hand. Okay. Do we want to count? Keep them up. Keep them up. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. This is totally just me having fun now. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. 20 for Christopher Reeve. What about George Reeves? Adventures of Superman. <laughs> okay. One. Okay. OG. All right. So moving along. Nobody knows about Kirk Allen, the serials in the Saturdays in the 40s? No. Okay. He, he, made, a, he made a cameo in the original movie, by the way. Dean Cain? Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Okay, one or two. I loved that show, the first season anyway. Three. Tom Welling. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. Was there somebody between Henry Cavill and Dean Cain? Brandon Routh. Of course there was. Brandon Routh. I loved, I loved Superman Returns. Two. Henry Cavill. Okay, a little more love. One, two, three, four. So Christopher Reeves still takes it by a landslide. Wow, what does that tell you? 40 years, over 40 years old. So, okay, but Smallville definitely has its fans. I, I'm not keeping up on the Arrowverse. I watched the first season of Arrow. I've watched a handful of episodes of The Flash, a handful of episodes of Supergirl season one. I just think they're too CWIs for me, and, and they're just too many liberties, and I'm way too much of a purist. I, I'm really a purist. I mean, just ask my wife. I am the biggest critic or the biggest fan of when I go to a superhero movie or TV show. I love 
the Netflix Marvel shows, or at least a lot of them, not all of them, but the CW ones are just a little bit too much, too many liberties taken. And I just don't, I don't know why, this is no knock on it, but I just don't gravitate to kind of teenage kind of characters. I, I, I always liked it when it was a little bit more adult, I mean, or mature. But, but it definitely has its fans, and it is the longest-running Superman show. It's 10 seasons, and it's the enduring population of that, that show that, that, that is why they're bringing him back for the cameo in Crisis and Infinite Earths and their lowest lane, Erica Durant, right? So there's, there's plenty of theological metaphors in that and all Superman properties. I just remember, the, was it the first episode where he's in the field, like hanging on the wood, like as if crucified? Say what? The, yeah, he was meant to be a scarecrow, but the, but the but oh, the name of the episode is Scarecrow. The first episode's called Scarecrow. Okay, okay. Yeah, you know, I think there's just this tend in movies and 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 Hollywood to say, okay, well, we don't really get Superman, but we do understand that we, they've been doing this Messiah thing. Let's keep going with that, and it works. It really works. Making him kind of this chosen one, I think, is great. And one thing I will say about Tom Welling is he acted like a nice guy. You know, there was no, you tell me, I didn't follow it enough to like go into the later seasons, but he seemed like he was always the nice, squeaky clean guy, you know? And, and, and is that the case or did he ever go bad or anything like, like that we see today? Okay. I think, I think there's plenty that you could talk about with that. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's great. And I need to go back and watch the entire thing sometime. Smallville, I will say, had its fans also, it came out while I was at seminary, so from 2004 to 2008, there was kind of a black hole with me in pop culture a little bit. Yeah, Father David is nodding. But there were plenty of fans that were watching it during that time as well. I've been told that we have two minutes, so just, I think we have time for one more question. Steve, go ahead. I want to hear your, yeah, your question. Hi, I'm Steve from New York. I don't know if, 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 if this was ever official, right? But for a while, kind of the tagline of Superman was that he stands for truth, justice, and the American way, right? And I remember even as a little kid, that was always sort of weird and jarring to me. Because it's like truth, eternal, justice, eternal, the American way, not so much. <laughs> and like, maybe that's the sort of thing that opened up the doors like Frank Miller, right, to have in this radiance of it, right? And I always thought the most, one of the most interesting things about Superman was that kind of like authoritarian tendency, which maybe comes from that. I wonder, like, but that's, that's always kind of a weird wrinkle to the character. Is it? Is it... I don't know, is it American hubris? Is it an opportunity to sort of like make the character applicable? Is it a flaw that we sort of forgotten? Like, what about sort of Superman's Americanness? Have we just kind of like let it go in the past? Okay, so so you're asking why was it there in the first place or why is it not there now? What do you think about it? Okay, so that Steve from New York. Steve Christophoto is talking tomorrow, by the way, and there's a, there's, a, there's a bunch of very talented speakers talking. I can't wait for tomorrow. Steve asks, what about the, the American way part of Superman, the truth, justice, and the American way? The American way actually wasn't in the comics originally. It was added to the Adventures of Superman. It might have been the radio show first in the 40s, but it for sure was added to the George Reeves black and white Adventures of Superman TV show. And the reason for that is because it was the Cold War. Okay, it was added to that because the Soviets were the bad guys and they, we were the good guys, right? So truth, justice, and the American way. But even before that, I mean, Superman has kind of like the buy war bonds, the thing that I mentioned. He was always an icon for America. And this is another great, great topic and avenue that we could take with the character. There are so many iconic, iconic covers of Superman holding the American flag, whether it's the 40s or even today. It's an, it's an amazing motif. The, the Americanness comes in Okay, so who here, I, I can't speak about Romania or the Yugoslavian countries, but who here has ever been to Greece and spent any kind of time with Greece and watching TV in Greece or any kind of pop culture in Greece or any other country, let's say? Raise your hand. Okay. Are there superheroes there that are not American? No. No. Has anyone heard about the shadow puppet, Karagiosis? I mean, you probably haven't, but there's a shadow puppet in, Greek, in Greece that is in all villages, and is, it's one character, and there are, there's like shadow puppet theater done in all the villages all throughout the country. And it's about this guy who's this little, you know, um, schlub who like just can't get a break, always looking for his next meal, this kind of thing. And, and the Greeks love this guy, love this guy. In America, we like John Wayne, we like superheroes. Even if you look at all the countries in the world that, per, that make comic books, only in America is there the superhero. Even if you look at England, it's like sci-fi stuff, it's, it's you know, um, dystopian stuff. Even Captain Britain, 
was an American creation that we kind of shipped to them so they could we could market it to them. Yeah, I mean, you look at France, Germany. I mean, I've in Greece. If you go to Europe, you'll see graphic novels still on the newsstands. It's like spy stuff. It's westerns. It's medieval. It's what. It's not superheroes. They're not really creating superheroes. The superhero, as as I'm talking about it today, is an American thing. So, you know, we could debate the politics of Superman. That just depends on the writer, whoever's writing. If he's if he's one way or the other, you know. And and over time, it's gotten a little bit less pronounced as as the Cold War went away. I think. But in terms of as a but but you bring up an interesting point because the superhero is also a uniquely American concept. Not the mythology stuff, that's all existed forever. But as a superhero, the cape and the guy who takes it upon himself to go right the wrong over there says, you guys can't shape it up or you're picking on a little guy, I'm going to go intervene there. You know, that's, that's always resonated with American audiences from pre-World War II, from the Depression to today. So it's really interesting. I would love to learn more about them myself because there is definitely something very, very American about, I mean, the superhero as a concept in general and Superman because he was the first one. So really, really interesting stuff. That doesn't necessarily, you know, relate to the American way portion of it, but, but for sure. And comic books in general, by the way, in the same way that jazz is a uniquely American art form, musical theater is a uniquely American art form, the banjo is a uniquely American instrument. I mean, obviously they have derivatives from other things, rap, etc. right? The comic book is an American art form. And that's another reason that I love it so much, whether it's pop art or the, the stuff that I put up earlier. I will be available for more questions if you guys want to talk about things. Let me just apologize from now, guys, by the way. I really was, I shouldn't have pulled my punches tonight. I could have gone way into more detail, way into more detail, but I wasn't sure how many people here would be comic book specific, but clearly you guys are. So this is amazing. So I apologize that it might've been a little too light for you guys or watered down for you guys, but thank you very much for the opportunity nevertheless. God bless you. Yeah, thanks, so, thanks so much, man. This is good.